Welcome to Orange Intelligence, a KUKA Robotics podcast featuring key players in the drive towards innovation and automation in any market. The advancing technology of robotics continues to amaze as robots have been shown to be able to perform tasks with incredible precision and expertise. And today on Orange Intelligence, I'm joined by Corey Ryan, Director of Medical Robotics for KUKA Robotics, to discuss how robots are being used in the medical industry. Corey, thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I enjoyed the first conversation so much. I'm glad that you're back for another episode here on Orange Intelligence by KUKA Robotics. And uh, Corey, let's start off here. You know, How have robots really developed to the point where they're able to be used in medical settings? And what are some of their primary applications that they're being used for? So KUKA started in the medical business actually over 20 years ago. We started with a partner called Accuray. Uh, they were using a large industrial robot to manipulate a um, linear accelerator around a patient in order to deliver uh, radiation for cancer treatment. So rather than giving this, this enormous dose through the healthy tissue, you know, usually shot top to bottom, um, Accuray actually manipulates the LINAC around the patient. So the healthy tissue gets a much lower dose, but at the apex of that beam, the maximum dose is delivered. And they even sculpt and shape the beam to, uh, to the shape of the tumor from all the different angles. And they even compensate for respiration. So it's kind of a kind of a really cool system to see develop over the last 20 plus years. KUKA has taken on a pretty big leadership role in the medical robotics industry. You know, we probably, next to the, the intuitive Da Vinci system, we probably have the most robots out in the industry doing medical treatments. You just rarely ever see the KUKA name on it because it's integrated into a system. And in the last two and a half years, we released a product specific to that market. So we, we came up with a new robot model that is developed with the medical industry in mind, and uh, it's called the LVR Med. So that robot has been helping a lot of companies kind of adopt off-the-shelf technology f- to integrate into their systems. So w- when I think about medical, I-, I think about, you know, the precision needed to perform uh, these different tasks like what you're describing and, and there being an incredible level of-, of expertise needed to to create and craft robots that can perform these types of tasks. So what kind of advancements have happened over the 20 years that have allowed robots to maybe uh, take a larger step forward into medical applications like they're being used in today? The biggest thing has been really the acceptance of robots in the marketplace because that drove a change overall into what we call collaborative robots. So the development of robots specifically for people in the workspace. You know, if you go back eight or 10 years, putting people in the workspace was really, really frowned upon by most companies. Most of the large industrial robot companies actually had policies that people were never to enter the workspace regardless. Kuka, like I say, started probably 20 years ago doing medical. We also do a lot in entertainment. So we were very comfortable having people sitting on some mechanism and essentially riding on the robot. That being the case, we were we were kind of poised for the change in the market. And we developed, as people began to accept robots, we developed smaller robots focused on people in the workspace. And the kind of technology that really has, has changed there is along the force sensing, large industrial robots are simply an A to B motion control platform. But the collaborative robots have a a lot of different features built into them 
primarily based on either safety or the force control. The force control stuff, we have two force torque sensors at each axis. So we're measuring the forces delivered along the robot arm as well as at the, the tool point or the, the treatment point so that we can tell if, if the robot comes in contact with anyone intentionally and unintentionally. And that changes the game a lot in the robotics field because when you want to work with people and be there all the time, force sensing is, is a big requirement. Big industrial robots, you can mount a force sensor to the end of the, the robot arm where the, where the tooling or the treatment point would be. But along the arm itself, you, there's no, no way to integrate force sensing easily. And so this, this force sensing capability has really been key. And it, it plays well into the safety part of the robot where, you know, we have a very flexible and very easily configurable safety concept so that you can set the safety requirements based on the application and based on the, the current activities versus one sort of simple safety system that you would use in industry. You know, and the common example is um, all industrial robots and all, well, all robots really should come with some kind of connector that detects when the safety fence is opened. And so in industry, the robot works behind a fence. When, if you open the gate and the robot's on, it automatically shuts off. That's the majority of the safety concept there. You know, put it behind a fence, somebody opens up the gate, shut it off. And then the other key requirement is that you have to go outside of the, the cell in order to turn the robot on. So ideally, the person, if, if somebody went in, they've left. Mm -hmm. Collaborative robots work on a completely different premise that people are going to be in the workspace all the time. So you have to be able to vary the safety depending on what it's doing. So for example, if it's carrying a very soft payload or a very soft tool, rounded edges, you can move a little faster. If it's doing something very precise, but let's say it's a little bit of cutting or has a, a tool on it that somebody can get hurt with, you've got to really slow the robot down and make sure that, that the tool is kept away from the person. There's a lot of variation in the robot performance based on the tool it's carrying, the type of task it's doing, how close it is to the human, what kind of interaction they're expected to have. All those things kind of come together into this, this integrated safety concept. And as I said before, the force sensing is a key part of that. So uh, in, in no way, shape or form, do I think that uh, surgeons or anything like that are, are going to become obsolete anytime in the, f in the near future, anything along those lines, nor do I wish to say anything that is uh, at all, you know, could, could be construed as derogatory towards doctors and surgeons and the work that they do. But are there things that robots can just do a little bit better or more precise? Or are there actions that they can take, like they don't, uh, they don't get tired or things along those lines that make robots advantageous? advantageous to have in certain circumstances? Yes, that's a great question. So there's a lot of really interesting things that robots bring to the table. The, the simple one is if you look at something like the intuitive system used for minimally invasive surgery, doctors can have a very, very prolonged career with that system because they're not leaning over the patient. If they happen to get small tremors in their hand, the system actually will recognize it as a hand tremor and take it out, filter it out of the, the uh, signals. So the doctor is actually using his hands or her hands to, to move some controllers that in turn move the robot arms. But the robot arms take the signal from the doctor, 
and they move accordingly. But as as people get older and they get little little um, shakes in their hands, as they don't aren't able to lean over patients for long hours, you know the robot really supports a longer career. And you really want to keep your best and most experienced surgeons working as long as you can. Um, the other thing that the robot does is it brings the performance of a new surgeon up to almost the level of a really experienced surgeon. And that's important because, you know, we don't think of it in terms of a learning curve, but there is a huge learning curve over time, even for surgeons. So the old adage of watch one, do one, teach one isn't always the best way for a surgeon to learn because they have they don't have a ton of experience right off the bat, yet they're able to go out and, and operate. Mm-hmm. Robotics adds a layer of safety, a layer of competency that is actually proven to kind of bring the new people up to a level that's very comparable to an experienced surgeon. And that, you know, really makes a big difference in the uh, overall outcome. The other thing that robots really add is an ability to do functions that humans can't. So we have a customer called AOT, Advanced Osteotomy Tools, and they use a cold ablation laser to literally cut the entire human jaw off and reposition it. They cut it in a kind of um, a tooth pattern so that when they pull the jaw off and they reposition it, they kind of fit it back into these, these, these teeth. You absolutely need a surgeon to do the planning and a, and a uh, clinical team to do all of the cut planning. But no human could look in three dimensions and cut with a laser in this process. Currently, it's done with a, with a saw. It's done by hand. It's, and so this change to this laser has many advantages other than or beyond just the simple cut. There's more healing area, more surface area to heal. The trauma to the patient is less. The healing time is lower. And again, no human could, could do that three-dimensional cut. Other examples, you know, we talked about Accuray. So the robot moves a Linac in a, around a patient. The Linac's almost 700 pounds. No human was ever going to do that job. But the advantage of the lower dose to the patient is huge. And so, you know, the robots tend to fit in in spots where Either people can't do it, people don't want to do it, or people are still required in the process to plan, but the execution is better done by a robot. And a final example I'll give you is orthopedics. So in orthopedics, when you're putting in a new knee or a new hip, part of the treatment process, part of the surgery process is cutting and milling. And we don't reference it that way in in the OR, but it is essentially a cutting and milling problem, which robots have been doing for decades. And they do it very well. They do it to sub-millimeter precision. No human does sub-millimeter precision. So when you start looking at things like that, the robots are a great addition in the medical field. And they really do lend that positional accuracy to a lot of tasks that are, are, people are not capable of doing as well. That's really interesting. You know, I I think that especially going back to that first part of your answer, I think some people would be worried that robots would be replacing surgeons or doctors, but really kind of what you're describing is that robots can help extend the careers of of surgeons and also elevate the careers of younger surgeons so that it, it rather than replacing it's really uh an overall improvement for everybody and uh 
and people are able to stay in the workforce maybe longer because of the advancements of robotics. Exactly. You know, and, and when you think of, of some clinicians, you know, uh, they, some of them have a very limited lifespan. A great example of that is uh, ultrasound sonographer. After about 10 years of, of doing ultrasound scanning, most sonographers terrible carpal tunnel to the point where most of them actually switch careers. Wow. But that's when they're the best, right? 10 years of experience. They've mm-hmm. done it all, seen it all. They're great at their job. And all of a sudden, you know, this healthcare issue starts to pop up. And over time, most of them, most of them will move on to some other role. That's when you want them there the most. You know, the ability to have a robot do the scanning at the manipulation of somebody who can look at the image and knows what, you know, knows where to take a second look or try a different angle. That process intelligence that the person brings to it is critical. But having the robot do the scan just makes sense if it's going to cause long-term health issues. Right, right. That that absolutely makes sense. And, and I think that that uh, really tells a big story as far as uh, the advantage of uh, deploying robotics in medical um, circumstances. So, uh, Corey, I, w- I want to move on and just talk about how healthcare companies develop their products. Um, how does that happen and what role can the robot manufacturers play in that overall process? Uh, so, it varies a lot by company. You know, the large companies obviously have infrastructure and people and uh, experience going to market, but the startups really tend to have a, a larger hurdle to jump through because many of them are small, many of them have very limited resources, limited budgets, and, and limited time frame. You know, that limited budget puts a, a relatively large restriction on how long they're going to have to bring that product to market and start generating revenue, or they literally just run out of money. You know, as a manufacturer, we build products that we hope will fit into the market, uh, the LBR Med being a good example, and making that available to customers to start with helps them with their development time because now they can focus on the application and the tooling, but the motion control is taken care of for them. Uh, you know, And that robots wrap is unique in the industry in that it comes with IEC 60601 certification as the robotic component of a medical device. So it's had all the testing and, and um, certifications required to be integrated into a device. Now, it can't by itself be FDA approved because the application dictates a lot of what the requirements are, but certainly from the, the general standards, it meets all the requirements for things like leakage currents and overload testing, et cetera. In addition to offering a specialized product, one of the things that really helps, I think, and one of the places where KUKA is relatively unique is we have a dedicated team of people that sells and supports the medical part of the business. So, you know, I don't sell welding equipment. I sell robots to medical customers. Um, so I have a, a background as a biomedical technologist. My application engineer is also a biomedical engineer. Um, we have an R&D team dedicated to the medical development. And we can actually develop custom robots, although that's that's not something we want to do too often because it's 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 really something we can only do for a large large customer but we have that capability the unique part of having a team dedicated is we understand the requirements of going through the fda process we understand the language and the urgency of of certain changes that don't really matter on the on the general industry side and we know what kind of support over long term is necessary great example is life cycle planning when you buy a robot out of the general industry bucket of any company in the world, 
as technology changes, they update their components. Think in terms of even something as simple as a USB. You know, where would you get a 256K USB today? It just doesn't exist. Right. But medical companies go through a certification process with the FDA where even things like a backup USB has to be tested and certified. And so when you change components, you have to notify, we as KUKA have to notify companies that, hey, this component is changing and it's going to change six months or a year from now. And oh, by the way, here's a sample. Please start testing to make sure you're ready when the, when the switchover comes. General industry, doesn't matter. It fits the same form and function. It feels the same and it actually runs better. We're all good. Nobody cares. In medical, that's a critical thing. If they got audited by the FDA, they would essentially have a device that's out of compliance if they haven't done their update paperwork. Hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of little things like that that people don't think of when they're picking a partner until they're well down the development path and go, oh, wait a minute, you won't do this for a small number of robots? You know, it's, it's, it's now become an unmanageable situation. Right, right. So that, that that sounds to me, just from the way you're describing it, that that's a big differentiator for for Kuka is just the fact that you have a uh, a medical side of the company means that you have the expertise and you have that that special knowledge that comes with knowing that you have to work with the FDA and knowing what that's going to look like, you know, for your customers, so you can better prepare them for those instances because you're also well versed in this particular aspect of of what robots can do. Yeah, that's very well said. That's exactly right. So tell me a little bit more, uh, and you may have touched on this a little bit earlier, but just tell me a little bit more about how industrial robots play a supporting role in the medical field for for robots that are deployed in, in medical circumstances. Sure. So, I mean, there is no requirement. There are, are, there are actually no medical robotic standards mm. that are used today. We have some standards for medical devices, and I mentioned IEC 60601. That's one of them. Um, but the medical robotics piece is so new, there really aren't good standards for it. What people use is the collaborative robot standard, ISO 10218, as well as technical spec 15066. There are robotic standards and there's medical device standards, and you've got to try and kind of find a, a harmony between them that works for what you want to do. Um, you know, KUKA as a whole has sort of embraced the the collaborative robot part and the medical, and we kind of bring that together. Uh, with within our team. So as we said before, you know, having that dedicated team is a huge thing because the requirements for medical are so unique and so different and very strict, which obviously we all want, right? We want safe products out there. But navigation through an industrial company is, is really critical. Mm. And when you start to look at the medical part of it, you know, we're probably six or 7% of the, of our U.S. robot sales, and globally, it's even a smaller number. So when you start trying to get dedicated resources for something that's such a small part of your company, it's a very rare situation that a company uh, like KUKA would say, yeah, go do it, even though it's, it's going to take more time and resources than the average robot sale. Um, but we've been lucky, and KUKA finds it a, an interesting business, something that they enjoy supporting because of the humanitarian aspect of it. And so we've been really lucky on the medical team to be standalone and given our own resources in a market that is really, really competitive and really tough. 
So when you look at this industry and uh, the developments that you've seen over the course of your career and the, the developments that KUKA has seen over the last you know, two decades plus that they've been involved, you know, what, what do you see coming down the pipeline for the future that, that has you excited? Where do you see this industry going and maybe what are some of the capabilities that you see uh, maybe coming soon or, or coming a little bit further out? Um, so I think mobility is the big thing that's coming, coming soon. Um, you know, we have mobility in industry. Uh, we have it in healthcare to a smaller degree, but it's certainly catching on. And by mo- mobility, I mean robots that move from place to place. Warehouses have adopted mobility with a with a really high degree of success, and now we're starting to see where it's where it's leaning over into healthcare. There's a lot of logistics in healthcare, getting medications delivered, uh, charts delivered to the labs um, and to the floors, restocking of shelves and stuff like that. You know, we think the mobility is really going to add kind of a, a, a nice twist to the mar- market as it is today. When you think in terms of things like a nurse, nobody co- becomes a nurse thinking, well, I'm going to walk probably five miles a day delivering charts and medications and, you know, walking back and forth to the lab for tests and stuff like that. They become a nurse because they want to help people and they want the patient time. So when you add mobility in and say, okay, well, we'll have the drugs delivered to the room. We'll have um, charts picked up at the desk and then delivered back. We'll have tests done, you know, picked up remotely. You really kind of maximize the amount of patient time that your clinical staff has. And that's, that's a big thing because resources are getting tighter and tighter and that's where the human value is added. You know, the nurse can check the drugs, make sure it's delivered correctly, but walking down to the, to the pharmacy to get them really doesn't add a lot of value. Um, the same thing can happen with, with technology where mobility is going to allow technology to redeploy itself. So things like patient carriers or lasers or any kind of technology that, that you have in a very limited supply can potentially be automated to the point where it, it knows where to go and when to get there, hmm. and it will redeploy itself, again, freeing up time from people moving equipment around. That's a really interesting aspect. And, you know, as we record this in, in the midst of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, I, I almost wonder just as you talk a little bit more about mobility, if, if robotics can't play a part in, you know, protecting uh, frontline nurses and doctors that are frequently going in and out of patients' rooms and kind of help protect against uh, the spread of viruses like this, uh, should we see more instances of something along these lines in the future, just by being more mobile, you know, having robots be able to carry out some of these tasks that limit maybe person-to-person interactions uh, to, in the end, help protect other people and, and keep people safe from uh, from viruses and things along those lines. Absolutely. You know, we've seen a big, big uptick in the number of projects for people uh, looking at ways to test patients, not not exclusively for COVID, but certainly it's, it's driven a, a, a sense of urgency to those kind of projects. Um, you know, we have a customer called uh, Life sciences robotics and they um they use a robot to do physiotherapy while patients are still in the bed but to your point the nice part of that is someone goes and sets the machine up and they can actually distance themselves now while the patient's getting getting therapy and in the past it was all pretty much done manually so you know the 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 one-on-one close time was was very high so we're seeing robots definitely enable some some distancing and treatment 
that wasn't there, you know, years ago. Well, I'm particularly fascinated to see how this continues to uh, to evolve and move over the the coming years and, and months and see how KUKA is at the heart of innovation when it comes to medical robotics and, uh, and what you're doing there. So, uh, Corey Ryan, Director of Medical Robotics for KUKA Robotics, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Orange Intelligence and uh, sharing a little bit more about this. It was great to have the opportunity to let people know what we do. We're very proud of the work and uh, the work that our people do. Absolutely, as you should be. Uh, it's it's really, really fascinating stuff. And so, everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Orange Intelligence. Of course, if you missed Corey's previous episode or any of the previous episodes of the podcast, make sure to go back and catch those. Also, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts these days. Make sure you get upcoming episodes of the show as well. I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Until next time.